everybody. Welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you're doing awesome. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. We had our service this morning, and it was fantastic. The band was killer, as usual. Hannah was was super good. We got some cool comments about her on our live stream today that basically her teaching style was like a college professor. And I totally agree, and that's one of the reasons that I really like what we're doing is... Um, I mean, the heart is very important when it comes to faith, but so is the mind. And I think that uh, Hannah does a really good job of uh, engaging with our mind and challenging us and um, talking to us in a way that we're able to learn as opposed to just in a kind of, I don't know, emotionally manipulative might not be the right word, but it is a word. And I think a lot of churches kind of do that they will allow themselves to be emotionally manipulative anyway that's a tangent i was not planning on going on (laughs) i'm just really thankful for this community and i'm thankful to you for listening for being a part of this community Uh, i love you guys so much right now i am actually recording this with a uh, handheld microphone because i forgot my mic stand And I'm using an SM7. If any of you guys know uh, anything about recording, SM7s are heavy microphones, and they're definitely not meant to be handhelds. So I'm just sacrificing it for you guys right now to make sure that this gets done so I can get it in your ears as soon as possible. (laughs) Anyway, we don't have a whole lot to talk about before jumping into the message today. Uh, I'm calling it Bushes and Bread. And it's a fantastic message. Only thing I want to make sure that you're aware of right now, actually two things. Uh, If you can, go to diff.church on your phone or computer and fill out the form that you'll see there. It will put you on our mailing list, which is great. It's a really good way to hear from us in case anything changes quickly, which it could, you know, with the coronavirus stuff. We might have to cancel a service last minute or something. So make sure you're on the uh, mailing list. Also from there, you can give us some feedback Let us know what we're doing well, what we need to do better. Uh, You can sign up to be a regular giver, which would be amazing. And it's just the best way to connect with us. Other than that, I just want to make sure that you know about our Super Chill Book Club. We are going to be reading a book by Kevin Makins called Why Would Anyone Go to Church? And we're going to be reading it and then discussing it on Facebook. So if you want to be a part, you have to be in our private Facebook group. So shoot us an email, hello at diffchurch.com, or just reach out to us on social media, and we will make sure that you are in the group. And we are going to start uh, Monday. Hold on, let me look at my... I think it's the 17th? Yeah, we're going to start Monday the 17th. So you have about a week, depending on when you listen to this, to get signed up for the book club. The Super Chill Book Club. Um, Cool. I think that's it. Uh, Without further ados or adults, here's Hannah this morning, we get to talk about the kingdom of heaven. What is it? Where is it? Why is it? No, that's too many questions. We're just going to focus on what is it, because we only have, you know, a limited amount of time, and I don't want to keep you here all day, and I'm going to be hungry at the end of this, so I can't stay here all day either. So in order to discuss what the kingdom of heaven is, we are going to use some metaphors that Jesus used in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, and we'll talk about four of them. Before we do that, let's talk about the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, for a second. It's kind of an interesting phrase. It's used a lot in the Bible. It's definitely used a lot in church. And we use it, right? I've used it. We need to remember that the language is metaphorical, okay? The kingdom of God is like a whole lot of things. 
But what it is not like is a male-dominated monarchy. Um, and just so we're being fair, it is also not like a female-dominated monarchy, okay? So the king, it's not even a monarchy at all. It's just, this is the language that we have to use. It's compared. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is compared to a monarchy in the Bible because that's what the people understood. Now, we kind of understand it. Like, we've watched TV and movies, so we have some understanding of what a king is. Or, you know, if you didn't sleep through high school history, you have some understanding of what a monarchy and what a king is. But, you know, we've never lived under a king. Like, the closest relation that we can probably think of is, like, the Queen of England. But that's not even a true monarchy either, because, you know, they have a prime minister, and she has to ask permission when she wants to go to Buckingham Palace from the mayor of London. We learned that when we were in London, once upon a time. I was like, really? The Queen of England has to ask permission to go to her house? And they were like, yep. The mayor doesn't say no, because that would be bad form. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That would be really bad form. So basically, what we think of when we hear the word kingdom is not the same thing that the hearers of this would have thought when they heard the word kingdom. And that's fine, as long as we remember that. So the kingdom of God is more, it's less like a monarchy, <laughs> and more like a family in right relationship to each other. Or perhaps a community that creates a chosen family. Now, I think that that's more accurate and more helpful, but it still doesn't encompass what the kingdom of God is completely because we never can. We can never get to that. We have to remember language is our most useful tool as humans. That's why we're on top of the food chain because we can communicate with each other using our words, but it can't do everything. And when we're talking about the infinite divine and how it interacts with the world, at some point our language is going to break down. Like we're just not going to have words for it. And we shouldn't. It doesn't make sense that we would have words to describe everything God is. So if you're super into philosophy, as a side note, where you like the feeling of like drinking from an intellectual fire hose, then I recommend Peter Rollins' book, How Not to Talk of God, or How Not to Speak of God. Um, because... The entire book is focused on this very thing. Like the second we start speaking about God, we are unable to because we've already denied who God is. All our attempts to define God are just doomed from the start. We can use what we have, which we should use what we have. I'm not depressed that when I'm like, God is like whatever, that that doesn't encompass all of God. We use what we have and we, our metaphors evolved and we do our best. But we need to understand that it's not, we're not encompassing all that God is. So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, but I just want you to remember that the kingdom of God is not at all like a kingdom. <laughs> it's just something that we have a reference for, and it's a word that we're using. As a side note, if you don't want to read Peter Rollins' book, you can find him on podcasts, like on Rob Bell's podcast. It's literally like drinking from a fire hose, but he has the best accent in the world. It's like Irish or something, I think? Scottish. Scottish. It's so great. He will be saying all of the deep philosophical things that you will have no idea what he's talking about, but you'll feel smarter when you listen to it. So here are some metaphors that Jesus uses. We're just going to go through them. This is from Matthew chapter 13. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make a nest in its branches. How many of you have heard these verses before? 
Yeah, they're pretty popular in church. Now, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of God is like. And so the first metaphor he uses is a mustard seed, which is approximately one to two millimeters wide and round and tiny. Um, I have a fancy picture. If you know what a mustard seed looks like, it's probably because you've used some fancy whole grain mustard at some point in your life. Um, none of us are growing mustard that I know of. That's pretty small. We can agree. Not the world's smallest seed. The world's smallest seed is from the rainforest orchid, and it is one three hundredth of an inch long. Can you imagine? I mean, one inch. You should know that what I wrote in my notes, one inch can be divided into 25 millimeters, roughly, but I wrote one inch can be divided into 25 milligrams, <laughs> which is not at all the same thing or even, like, that's not even related. So one inch cannot be divided into 25 milligrams, <laughs> 25 millimeters, and that's pretty small, a millimeter, but imagine dividing an inch into 300. That's like microscopic and I'm not trying to pick a fight with the Bible, okay? I don't think Jesus was trying to be a scientist here and be like, it is the smallest of seeds scientifically proven, of course. Like, they would have known even at that time that there were smaller seeds than the mustard seed. I'm just pointing out the metaphor so we can stop taking everything we read in the Bible absolutely literally. Like, if I say something like, the Spirit of God is like a rain cloud. None of y'all, hopefully, are gonna, like, burn me at the stake or tell me that I'm lying about God, you'll understand instinctively that I'm using a metaphor. I'm using poetic language to describe something about God. But somehow, when it comes to the Bible, we get really squirrely, and we're like, if it has, it has to be factually true or literal because God is saying it. But I think that actually limits our understanding of God even more. Because why would we not think that God is capable of using metaphor? Or poetry, or imaginative language? We are. We can use that language. And who are we made in the image of? God. So it makes sense that God would be able to use this language as well. Anyways, that was a tangent. We have an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow mustard seed. And the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So here's two interpretations, one of which you may have heard if you've heard these verses, one of which maybe you have not. First, the mustard seed is tiny, but it grows into a giant bush, a tree, a plant. They call it a tree, but it's really not a tree. If you Google mustard seed, it's like, it's definitely not a tree. It's a bush. Um, I think I have a picture. Yeah. It's hard to see. That, does that look like a tree to you? Okay. It is still big and strong enough for birds to land on. They can make their nests. And the kingdom of heaven is like that. It starts small and insignificant, but it grows into something that is strong and actually helps the community and helps the animals around it, and it's wonderful. This is a common interpretation. Here's a different one. At the time this was written, the mustard seed was an invasive species. Farmers did not want it in their fields. Nobody was growing mustard. It was a weed. And of course, what is a weed? We decide the thing we don't want growing in our field or garden. We established last week, I'm not a farmer. So the metaphor breaks down. But it's, the mustard seed is kind of annoying and subversive. Like it's so small that it's hiding in all of the other seeds. And no matter how many times the farmers try to pick it out and make sure that it's not in there, still mustard would grow in their fields. And they would have to yank it out. But if they didn't yank it out, it would grow into a giant bush. 
So perhaps you have not heard this interpretation. The kingdom of God is like an invasive species. <laughs> and then it takes over and proper conventional wisdom says, don't let any of these seeds get in your fields. But it gets in anyways, and you can't stop it. Second metaphor. Verse 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a little... No, <laughs> that's not what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Two interpretations. The one you probably have heard. The kingdom of heaven is like a little packet of activated yeast and you mix it in and it goes through all of the dough because that means that even just a little bit of faith in God can make a difference. One person of faith in a group of people can change everything, which is great. I don't disagree with that. Second interpretation, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, the substance that everyone cleans out of their houses in preparation for festivals like Passover and treats as anathema. The yeast that causes bloat and fermentation, which can be made used to make bread, which smells delicious and feeds people. But also, if you use too much, it spoils the whole thing. And if you leave it out, it goes rotten. And if you have too much yeast, you know, if you drank too much beer, do you know what's happening when you get the bubble guts? That's yeast. <laughs> it's yeast, and your body's like, no, thank you. So I'm thinking of an interesting comparison here, because just as the Israelites are cleaning out yeast from their homes before Passover, how often do we, as Christ followers, clean out the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, anytime we feel like it's encroaching or spoiling or tell, making our life not the way we exactly want it. Third and fourth metaphors. We're going to tackle these together. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Honestly, these both weird me out a little bit if you take them on face value. So let's think about this. The kingdom of heaven is like when a guy discovers buried treasure in a field that doesn't belong to him. <laughs> What was he even doing there digging for treasure in the first place? In a, in a field that does not belong to him. So then he hides it and liquidates all his assets so he can buy the field and get the treasure. Note that he does all of this without telling the property owner whose treasure it actually is, even though he doesn't know about it because it's hidden. Technically a theft because he's paying a small amount for this field when it should be worth much more because there's buried treasure in it. Why was he digging around in someone else's field? This guy is a shady character. Good for him, I guess, being sneaky. That's what the kingdom of God is like? A person digging around, like, shadily in someone else's field? And then the kingdom of heaven is like when a merchant finds a valuable pearl and sells everything he has and he gets this pearl. Oh, lovely. It sounds great. So the merchant sells everything he has for a pearl. 
he, put, he puts himself out of business to get this pearl. Okay, what about his family? <laughs> he no longer has a way to provide for his family. He no longer has a home to live in. How is this a smart decision? And usually I hear interpretations like, we should be like this merchant, prepared to give up everything in our lives to find God. And you know, sometimes we should be prepared to give up stuff in our lives to find God. Uh, but I don't think that's actually the point here, if you look at all of these four together. Both of these are confusing, both these guys. First is this shady character who steals land, and the second is just dumb. He sells everything he has for one pearl and has no way to provide for himself or his family anymore. But the character of these two people is not really the kicker here. The kicker is that when we put all four parables together, all four metaphors together, we learn what it is that they gave up everything for. And you would think, what is the buried treasure? The pearl, a pearl has a great value. There were no such thing as synthetic pearls when this was written. So this is a big deal that he found this pearl. What did they give up everything in their lives for? A kingdom not actually made up of gold and jewels, but of bushes and bread. Would you give up everything you own to buy a field of weeds? I mean, hopefully not. Would you give up everything you owned, even being shady and dishonest, to get the ability to make bread? This is one of the most unique things about this passage, and I feel like we just never think about it. These, because the four metaphors can be really confusing when they're separated from each other, but when you think about them as a whole, the kingdom of heaven is ordinary. So ordinary, in fact, that it's mundane and overlooked all the time. It is tossed out like a weed, so small and insignificant that you might not be able to see it. But that ordinary, insignificant kingdom provides a place for birds to build their nests and feeds a community with bread. The kingdom of heaven cannot be bought. Even if a person tries to lie or scheme or be dishonest into owning it, or they try to buy their way into power and control inside the kingdom, what they will discover when they've given up everything, when they've sacrificed their family, when they've left, they've driven their business into the ground, when they've done things morally that they shouldn't do, what they will find after buying into this kingdom pyramid scheme that they think they're getting into, at the end of it all, is that they've gone all to these great lengths and they now own a field of bushes and a bunch of bread. In other words, the kingdom of God has zero economic value. Zero. You can't buy your way into it. You can't ruin it by being shady and dishonest because what are you going to do? At the end, even when you have done everything to make yourself get more power, you have power over weeds, which means nothing. The kingdom, it's, the kingdom of heaven is not based on profit and loss or winning and losing or risk assessment. It's based on community and belonging. 
a place for weary people to rest and build their nests. It's based on the ordinary labor of feeding each other and caring for each other and being with each other. So ordinary and small that you might miss it. And we try to make it into all these amazing things. We try to make it into something that has economic value. That we can see, yes, we have results and we have progress and we have a giant building and we have so many people and we have all the lights and we have everything. And okay, fine. But what is the kingdom of God? It's bushes and bread. It's being together and caring for each other. And if that piece is missing, then you have nothing. Your economic value means nothing. So the kingdom of God is a a family and right relation, a community that creates a chosen family, a place for weary people to build a nest and to be fed. Are you one of those weary people? Do you need a rest? Have you been spinning your wheels, searching for power or influence instead of just community, instead of just being together, instead of just hope? Are you, in the words of one of my favorite poets of all time, Mary Oliver, are you breathing just a little and calling it life? kingdom of heaven is hidden and it's so obvious it's so tiny it's so simple and it's so full of potential it creates life it hosts life it holds life and the starting place is so easy it's like a mustard seed so small that you could lose it with no problem you might misplace it you might overlook it or dismiss it if you don't know its potential. It's so easy to undervalue the kingdom of God. But things don't have to be popular or have power or money or anything to grow into something that produces life. All we have to do is make tiny changes and create new patterns of relating to each other, the kind of patterns we wanna see multiply the kind of patterns we want to see in our lives and in our families and our relationships at work and our relationships with our friend, friends. And then they, we hope that they multiply and that they change our communities and that they change our cities and that they change our world. But even if that doesn't happen, we can create a place to belong and we can create a place where birds can build their nests and where we can feed each other. And that's enough. So it's not the multiplying that we focus on, which I know somebody's gonna email me and be like, what about evangelism? (laughs) It's not the multiplying that you focus on. I'm all for evangelism. I mean, not the kind where you'd like beat someone over the head with a Bible or yell at them from a street corner or pull out a track and be like, here's all the reasons you're going straight to hell. You better repent, you sinner. Not for that. How do you change your mind about something? Do you have relationships with people? Focus on being enough yourself. Focus on the ordinary and the small. Focus on being kind when you don't want to be. Focus on being generous when you feel like there's not enough to go around. Focus on being patient when you really just want to shake whoever's making you wait. Even if it's your partner or your 
kids, like a doctor's office. Focus on loving people even when they don't deserve it. Focus on loving yourself even when you don't deserve it. Be enough in yourself for a few people to land. And if we can do that, if we can all be enough for a few people to land, then we get to share our lives with other people. We get to share shelter and food and belonging and community and hope and not doing it alone and all of the things that make life actually worth living. And that's how it multiplies and that's how it changes. The kingdom is not just something we get to do one day when we die or overcome all the evil of the world. The kingdom of God is closer than that. It's as close as right now, today. As close as the trees outside and the ordinary practice of eating a meal together. It's so close, actually, that it's inside of us. And none of us can possess it, even if we sell everything we have. We can't possess it, but we can choose it. We can choose it by letting go of our aspirations for power or control, and we can choose it by leaning into faith and learning how to truly live as a chosen family. Learning how to belong. <laughs>